people love talking about CEOs at billion dollar companies, but very few people talk about the first one to 10 employees at startups that became valued at a billion dollars. Which is why we're interviewing Evan Freed, who is the first employee at a startup called Checker that's focused on the on-demand workforce. For those of you that aren't familiar with the on-demand workforce, um, some people refer to it as the gig economy. And usually when they are talking about job growth, they're usually referring to these temporary jobs, which is a whole nother subject. For reference, um, gig economy jobs represented 10% of employees in the U.S. in 2005. And in 2015, they represented 16%. That percentage is increasing quickly as more digital platforms provide direct connections between people needing a service and workers willing to provide it. Checker helps the digital platforms uh, that are connecting these two different people, workers and services, uh, to run a million background checks per month on the workers. And now they have about 10,000 customers, including companies like Lyft, Thumbtap, Warby Parker, and more. If this is your first time listening to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, you know that we talk about the jobs that are being created and destroyed in the future so that you are aware of where to go to get the skills to get those jobs. Or if you're already in tech and want to navigate tech and learn how to level up and thrive in these environments, we demystify that for you too. If you are someone thinking about joining a startup that is early or has 10 employees or less, this episode is for you. If you are a founder that's thinking about hiring your first 10 employees, this episode is also for you. If you want to hear a story that's told for real from the perspective of a employee versus a CEO or press and um, all kinds of other things that are fabricated, this episode is for you. And no, no shade to anybody that um, tells stories from a CEO or press perspective. Um, we just think that it's very unique to hear it from someone that's that's uh the first employee so with that said um we would love to hear your feedback uh write us a review on itunes like our page on facebook join our community without further ado let's break in growing up we're told that in order to be successful you need to be a banker a doctor or a lawyer that's what the gatekeepers want you to think but we're part of something bigger we're part of a technological revolution either you're at the table or on the table get in the end 10x yo 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 this is ruben harris i'm here with the homies arthur and t1 meister and this is the breaking stars podcast timor can you please tell the people what we're doing today yeah so tonight we're coming to you live from checker we're recording the second interview of the night and before this we also did a campus tour of checkers offices in fidei so if you want to see the video go to our facebook page at breaking into startups and then you can see the full tour it's getting late. It's 9.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night. No one's going to bed here yet. So while some people are sleeping, we're working. Like always. Yeah. So we're about to jump into this interview. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Absolutely. So we're here with the first employee of Checker. His name is Evan Freed, not to be confused with Evan Fried, even though he did cut his teeth selling donuts at 16 years old in Alaska. He went to school in Seattle. And this episode is really special, not only because he's going to break down what he's currently doing as a leader in customer success, but he's also going to talk about how a lot of times in startups, roles are not defined. I mean, a lot of times, even though everybody at a startup tends to wear many hats, sometimes it never gets solidified as you um, grow. So Evan, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you, joining Ruben. us. My yeah, welcome. Yeah. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about you know, how you got to this point, but why don't we start, you know, at the customer success place. So you're, you're currently leading customer success. What does that look like here at Checker? And, you know, how did you, then we'll start going backwards from there. Yeah. So at a very basic level, we're the team that interfaces with our customers and our customers are other companies that are buying our background check product to screen their prospective employees. So we have two main functions. The first is sort of customer support. So your day-to-day -day nuts and bolts sort of operational type questions, provisioning accounts, et cetera. And then we also have a group of customer success managers or account managers who 
are responsible for owning the relationship of customers post-sale indefinitely thereafter. So typically, the customer success managers come into play for our larger or more strategic accounts. And our day-to-day activities and responsibilities include building and maintaining relationships, both on a professional and personal level with these companies and the people who work there to make sure that they're getting the most value out of our service. They're getting their questions answered in a timely manner. We operate in a heavily regulated industry. So helping them understand their responsibilities and obligations, helping them navigate the various regulations that they need to be accounting for. Those are all important things, but really sort of one of my favorite aspects of the job is we work with our customers and our business serves our customers. So at least selfishly, customer success folks like to think that we operate at the center of the business where we get an opportunity to work with every other team, whether it's sales or engineering or even finance or talent, etc. We get to get the full sort of picture of what's going on and rally the entire business behind the customer. Awesome. Awesome. So what kind of people get hired into a customer success role? What does that career trajectory look like? And what do you ask in the interview for them? Yeah. So really, customer success is a relatively new type of job that was sort of born out of the whole SaaS or software as a service business model where you didn't just close a deal and collect all the money up front and then the customer's locked in a contract and you kind of just like, good luck. You needed people there to actively sort of guide the customer, making sure that they're getting that value. So there aren't people who are seasoned customer success, you know, with 20 years of customer success experience. So They can really come from a varied background, like myself. I had no customer success experience. (laughs) We have people on our team who have experience ranging from being a private investigator to being a world-class water polo athlete. They're generally people who are going to not be shy about helping people Mm -hmm. and maybe even to their own detriment, you know, figuring out ways to support Given sort of the stage of where Checker's at today, you need people who are comfortable with ambiguity. You need people who are hungry, who want to learn, not only just execute their day-to-day responsibilities, but also to help advance Checker as we continue to grow and prepare for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the times, customer success is on the front lines, interacting with the customer. So what role do you play into feeding the product team with the feedback and kind of the feature ideas that your customers come up with? Yeah, so we do via a number of different avenues. We have formal product meetings where we are both sharing direct customer feedback on a, you know, semi-weekly basis. We also sort of concoct our own ideas or solutions or identify problems just based on the fact that, yes, we are operating, you know, directly with the customers. Then we just have less formal processes as well. Hey, you know, I'm going to be on this call with a customer. Would you like to sit in and listen? Because really getting that first person experience is much better than, you know, sort of the game of telephone and things being lost in translation. One of the big initiatives that we actually just started was building a list of customers for our product team that they can just reach out to directly. Mm -hmm. So we got the green light from the customer. Hey, you're a great customer. We'd love to get your feedback more frequently. Can we put you on this list so that our product managers and engineers can just be like, hey, this is a design. What do you think? That's awesome. And that's actually very similar to this article I was reading called like creating customer advisory boards. So like even though you can get a lot of feedback from people like on a ad hoc basis, you know, you have this core set of like customers that are like super champions or early adopters that you can always ask these questions to, which is pretty cool. And for the people that are listening that are currently in customer success, How do they level up? How do they get promoted? At Checker? Yeah, at Checker. So I would say, you know, number one, just crushing your day-to-day responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like what we expect you Mm -hmm. to do. Like that's what you have to do to keep your seat. Mm -hmm. In order to advance, you really need to kick it up a notch. You need to be proactively identifying 
not only problems, but solutions to those problems with Mm -hmm. internal procedures or with our product or how we're communicating to our customers. Mm -hmm. And you need to, I don't think that this is just unique to customer success at Checker, but you need to show sort of that drive to keep thinking outside the box, to fold your learnings in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's the nuts and bolts stuff of can we trust you in front of higher value or more strategic customers? Have you exhibited those skills? Can you check all those boxes? So it sounds like the way you're measured in the beginning is just how you identify problems. And then to get promoted as you get higher, it's like, how do you create these proactive solutions? Yeah, no, that's a big thing for us. I mean, Checker's only three years old, but our team is even much younger than that. So we're still kind of figuring out a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At some companies, because we've interviewed other customer success managers before, they actually say that as a rep or as a manager, you also have the opportunity to identify this like need that your customer might have and then provide them with more solutions or upsell them on stuff. So you're also playing a little bit of a sales role in that instance. Have you guys been doing that or does it happen at a later stage when you guys have more products you can upsell? I think today it's really not a big focus for us for really, I mean, two primary reasons. Number one, just given the way that deals kind of work at Checker, Mm -hmm. the vast majority, if not all of the value is captured up front in the sales process. It's not really a land and expand model. Mm -hmm. I mean, without getting too much into the details... Customers have a pretty good sense of what they need to buy before they get to Checker. If they don't know that, then the sales team kind of helps them suss that out. And then once they get to us, they're more or less set up. It's not to say that, you know, through consultation, et cetera, they might change their mind or add a screening or whatever the case may be. But that's really just not a big focus Mm -hmm. for us on the CS team. And the second reason is that we want to be, if and when we do have that as more of a central responsibility, because we are in a regulated industry and there's a lot of sort of mystery and a lot of our customers have a partial understanding of how the product and process and industry works. We really play this advisor role. And by sort of being too much of a salesperson, and not being thoughtful about how you do that, you can kind of breach that trust. And then you're never going to gain that back. So we try to be really careful. I mean, we had a, a gal come into interview. And one of the first things she said, she was kind of proud was she said, I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we're just like, that is not what we do at Checker. And I mean, the continuum of what customer success means, I think ranges all the way from like, I'm just a consultant. Like I'm a real, I know a lot about marketing. So you customer, I can tell you how to best utilize our yeah. marketing tool to that sort of like land and expand sales only. But at Checker, you own the entire relationship from onboarding and implementation through getting everybody up and running all the way through the renewal cycle. Yeah. So it sounds like it really depends on the industry here. Customer success is like more focused on things like you know, making sure the customer doesn't church churn or like leave the platform and make sure that they're like being taken care of well. And at some other industries, it may be the account executive or the salesperson closes and then it's focused on expanding it, this land and expand model that you talked about. Cool. So the other thing that you touched on was ambiguity, which we also hinted at in the intro. So let's talk about being a franchise player, which you are, given that you got up to this point and you know, what were you doing before Checker? And then how did you become the first employee? I'm not sure how far back you want to go, but quickly born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Hope there's a big listening audience <laughs> up there. Shout out to Alaska. Uh, if not, you guys need to distribute more of yeah. The Last Frontier. Uh, one of uh, our first episodes was in Alaska. So we we hold it down for our Alaskan family. Right. You guys need to go up there too. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a great, a great excuse a great to go there. Trip. Yeah. So I grew up there. I ran a donut shave ice cream puff business for four years. While you were in high school, right? While I was in high school and then for the first couple of years of college, then I sold that company. And then while I was in college in Seattle, I studied philosophy and business. And during that period of time, 
I still don't understand exactly where it came from, but I really became interested in two things. And those two things were last mile delivery logistics, which is almost as dry as background checks. <laughs> and then sort of these crowdsource network type companies like Crowdflower, Relay Rides, etc. So sort of that was always in the back of my mind. And I had done some projects about that. But ultimately, after school, moved back up to Alaska, worked construction, got a little restless and decided I needed to just sort of take the plunge, move to San Francisco, because that's where all of the cool and exciting things were happening in both the last mile delivery logistics space, as well as these crowdsource or peer to peer networks. So I moved down here in the fall of 2013. A little bit before we got here. A little yeah. bit before you got here. Just and, and hot on my we're, heels. We're, we're like, we're September 2014 and you stayed in the Tenderloin, right? Or yeah, was it a- I spent my first six weeks in San Francisco. I forget the name of the hostel, but right at the corner of Geary and Taylor. It's like a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So it's humble. For 20, hum- 30 bucks a night. Humble beginnings. Yeah. Humble beginnings. Yeah. Got all my stuff stolen the last day <laughs> I lived there. Uh, but I had already gotten a job, so it was all good. Three weeks. Um, yeah. So yeah. I came here. I knew I wanted to get a job in that type of space. I wasn't dead set on breaking into tech. Honestly, I didn't even, I don't think I really understood what that even meant yeah. or getting onto the startup bandwagon. There were no like podcasts like Breaking Stars. Yeah. <laughs> if I would have only known. <laughs> so then from there, I really, I was spending my days sort of exploring the city and also just doing research to try to find where I can pursue these interests. Yeah. And ultimately I found Delive. Delive. So tell us actually in the pre chat you mentioned like a creative way of how you reached out to them. Can you tell us how you got in touch? Yeah. So I don't exactly remember how I came across Delive, but basically long story short, Delive is a crowdsource last mile delivery company. And what is last mile? So last mile delivery is basically like getting it from the post office to your front step or from a warehouse to your office. Sort of that last sort of piece of the logistics puzzle. So I found Delive and it was like my dream come true, sort of this business operating at that intersection. And they didn't have any jobs opening on their website, unfortunately, but they did have a support form. So I typed them a long message, say, hey, it's Evan. I'm from Alaska. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. You're probably Um, the first person to actually tell them that in that forum. (laughs) And Luck would have it that they were that that note sort of sparked some interest in an operations manager there. And then they were also planning on opening a role. So had a few preliminary discussions with him, came on site, did an interview. And then a few weeks later, I had a job. There were two contingencies. Number one, my boss needed for me to have a plan of how I was going to get to work because I was still living in San Francisco. Mm-hmm at the hostel and I needed to buy a smartphone. Okay. She's like, okay. you do those two things and you have a job. So more, uh, more of the story up to that point is be well-rounded, you know, be humble and understand that a lot of jobs aren't online. Most jobs aren't online and send an email and figure it out or create your own position. Yeah. Yeah. And I think really for me, one of my big advantages and I would say if anybody kind of has this if you have a really strange interest sort of at the periphery and you truly do care about it, pursue that. Yeah. Because nobody else out there was looking to work specifically at a company innovating the last mile delivery space. So, I mean, that was just lucky that I was interested in that. But yeah, on top of all those things, like luckily I was interested in something that lots of other folks yeah. weren't. And we'll dive deeper into kind of how you ended up a checker, but while you were at Delive, like, what did you learn more about the last mile delivery, or like, how did that job help you become like an expert in the field that you wanted to be an expert in? Yeah, so I mean, I had the pleasure of working with both our network of delivery drivers, mm-hmm. so got an appreciation for how tough the job of being a dispatcher is at a very fundamental level. Got an appreciation for just how that business model works and how it is very important. And sort of as we see the lines between sort of the online world and brick and mortar retail being blurred, 
sort of got in a better understanding of those nuances and where things might be headed. But ultimately, I mean, I think for the first several months, I was very starstruck. It was a great place to work. I was very much inspired still by our product. But also, you know, thoughts started creeping into my mind a little bit about, you know, last mile delivery logistics is cool. But ultimately, that just makes like buying stuff easier, which doesn't necessarily consistent with my belief system or my philosophy. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and also just understanding how product things are iterated on in product and how you have to account for competing interests within an organization. I think I took away a lot of sort of broader learnings, even outside of specifically, you know, last mile delivery. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how things kind of work out because you didn't expect to necessarily land a delivery. You just heard about them. You took a shot. You ended up getting a job there. And then while working there, you met two people that put you on a completely different trajectory a few months later. Can you talk more about the people that you worked with and how that led to your role at Checker? Yeah. So before I talk about Daniel and Jonathan, who, spoiler, founded Checker, the guy who actually hired me left a few months later, and he became one of the earliest employees at DoorDash. And DoorDash is one of our oldest customers and is truly near and dear to my heart, but also two checkers. Also, we work with the live. So I'm super excited that we get to work with both those companies today. Yeah. (laughs) Keep it all nice and close. Yeah. The live was founded by a Silicon Valley veteran. So it was sort of this interesting group of experienced executives and then people like me who didn't know anything about anything. (laughs) So it was very formative sort of in that sense of just like being in a professional environment, learning from people who had done a lot of this before. And then there's also Daniel, who was a year or two older than me. He's a software engineer. He actually interviewed me when I interviewed at the Live. I think it was maybe the first interview he'd ever done. At the end of the interview, he was like, I think you're overqualified. And I was just like, I'm not sure if you're supposed to say that here. Now I think that is fine. But at the time, I was like, this is bizarre. Um, and yeah, I mean... It was just, we were coworkers. It was a small company. So we worked together closely. So we knew that we could get along. We were friends. And then through the French connection, Daniel brought Jonathan up from LA where they had previously met and worked together. And then Daniel and Jonathan and myself sort of were were just good buddies. Um, I love the fact that you emphasize French connection because we talk a lot about Timor and Archer's Ukrainian connection. We talk, we talk about <laughs> friendships. We talk about friendships and how everybody just sticks together and kind of like moves along from place to place. And it sounds like while they were at the live, they were thinking about their next idea that actually came through a problem that they noticed while they were working at the live. What was that problem that they saw? Yeah. So Daniel's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And you know, shortly we had some late night conversations about like, he really wanted to start a business. And that's a very broad ambition. I mean, he was toying with things like fashion related apps and things just weren't really going anywhere. And then Daniel was tasked with the project of integrating a background checking solution into our mobile driver app. Mm -hmm. And Shortly after looking into that and doing research, it became apparent that there was no solution. There was no player in the background screening space who was taking a technology first approach. And that was critical because even at that stage, you know, three, four years ago, you know, we were onboarding dozens or hundreds of drivers a month and other companies in the space were, were doing the same or even more. So you needed a scalable tool. And, you know, never mind the fact that background checking is an incredibly tricky problem to solve. At the surface, it seems very simple, especially if you're French and you don't (laughs) understand the U.S. criminal justice system at all. You don't understand that there are 3000 counties that we're pulling records from. So, I mean, his sort of the fact that he was naive and just hungry to start a business 
I think really that was the combination that got checkers off the ground. Yeah. No. So a lot yeah. of people, we talk a lot about advantages and disadvantages and perceived advantages, perceived disadvantages, and sound like that naivety played into his favor and he became obsessed about an idea. Do you know if he started building immediately? And yeah, I problem? think it was pretty shortly thereafter. He might have, his first next step was probably recruiting Jonathan to get him on board. And then, yeah, I think the very first checker office was Daniel's couch over in the mission. Shout I think, out mission. Yep. Shout out to live <laughs> out there. Yeah, right by Whizburger. Uh, <laughs> they built checker, I think, for probably three, four months, sort of nights and weekends. While they were at the live. While they were still at the live. They were very hush-hush about it. I didn't even know that that was happening at that point. And then ultimately, they got accepted into Y Combinator. And then they basically put in their notice. At, yeah. For people listening, live. what is Y Combinator? So Y Combinator is... I don't know exactly how they position themselves, but it's basically like an incubator for... They give a small investment to very, very, very early stage companies, or at least that was generally what happened back then. I know they're doing more initiatives now. And they have just this network of startups and advisors. And so they not only give you money to get things off the ground, but it's an intensive period, I think two, three months, where you're iterating on your product, you're getting active users, and you're there alongside you know, 40, 50 other businesses who are more or less in the same boat. So it sounds like they didn't start off like initially thinking about this company. It was like something that called them. It reminds me a lot about this quote that I have on my wall that Martin Luther King said that says, when you discover what you'll be in life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. And that, even though it didn't catch you, it felt like you started getting pulled towards it in a way that you didn't realize either. So how did that process happen? Because you were still working at the live when they went to YC. Yeah. So, I mean, I was very happy at DeLive. We were growing. I was getting more responsibility. So it was no, by no measure was I looking sort of outward. Daniel and Jonathan needed to hire somebody. More specifically, they needed to hire an American citizen. So I had (laughs) that playing to my advantage. We had sort of a series of conversations that got more formal than trying to convince me to join Checker. Can you explain Uh, why um, Daniel and Jonathan needed an American? Yeah. So Daniel and Jonathan are both French from France. Yeah. At the time, their visa was sponsored by DeLive. They left DeLive sort of in a hurried fashion. So their immigration status was basically in flux and their so way you were there at the right time. I was there. Yeah. Timing is everything. Right. Yeah. And American citizenship. Really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they like one of the terms of their visa sponsorship was yeah. that the company that they started created at least one job. And that job was the one that they gave me. <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I That's don't know exactly. Know, okay. Everything happens yeah. for a reason. Hey, yeah. yeah. Those, so that was a real advantage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. When the, did you join? What stage was this company at? Checker. So, we, it was a couple of days before the end of Y Combinator. So, the day where it's called Demo Day, where all these companies present their business and the progress they've made to a room full of investors. So, I joined a few days before that, sort of got to ride that glory train for a little while. We had a little cubicle in plug and play down in Sunnyvale. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just the two of us. I think really sort of one of my favorite parts from day one was since Daniel and Jonathan are both software engineers, they did everything in the back end. Mm-hmm. So for the first many weeks, it was just Jonathan building me tools so that I could do the work that he was previously doing. <laughs> he was like, okay, I don't want to have to do that anymore. So I'm going to build Evan a tool to do this. Or like the way we do that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So we're going to actually like build internal facing tools so that we can actually start scaling this business. So seeing that really early on, we hadn't raised a formal round of funding. We had some seed investors. We had the money from Y Combinator. So really at that point, Daniel was on the road pitching Checker to investors. And it was me and Jonathan hunkered down in plug and play, doing everything from 
taking sales calls to running reinvestigations when applicants thought their background check was wrong to, you know, building out and designing tools for how Checker ought to operate. So speaking of routines and like kind of like, you know, kind of methodically building out this company in the beginning, you know, I know your job changed pretty often. Did you have a structure that you followed that's like, I'm going to do sales at this time. I'm going to do this job at this time. Or was it just like, let's just do random things and grow? Yeah. No, there was no structure <laughs> other than like go to work mm-hmm. and then go home. What were your hours like? We worked every day, basically shorter days on the weekends, but I don't, I don't know, probably 12 hours a day at least during the week. And then, you know, regular work days on the weekends yeah. probably yeah. for so, the first several months or year. So what would you say are advantages of someone joining, let's say a two person team versus because you worked at, I think you mentioned Deliv was, you were the 11th employee at Deliv. So it was fairly, like, it was still small, but they had some structure there. And then with a two-person team, it's literally just you and the other person. So what are some advantages or disadvantages that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the advantages are, it's just such a unique experience. And like having, getting the opportunity to have input at that early of a stage you can like those changes or those processes or those things, like the value that they generate over the course of the business, like it keeps paying dividends. So just like being a part of that is super fulfilling. Yeah. You're um, in this big office now and you were on. I mean, our first <laughs> office was a third of the size of this conference room. Yeah. So, and, yeah, I mean, and, just and three years later, less than a college period, you're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just, I think that experience for me personally, I mean, kind of what I said earlier, I was never super excited in and of itself of joining a startup, but always as a kid, the idea of a business operating at scale and consistently delivering a product, whether it's paper towels or airline flights, it was always just this mystery. It just didn't seem possible. It's like, how do they make that work? Like, they must have some sort of magic dust or something. Yeah. And really, I think for me and for I'm sure lots of people who have that type of experience, even people who are joining Checker now, that mystery is completely debunked mm-hmm. where you realize that from day one and moving forward, this business is just a bunch of people working really hard in unison, mm-hmm. you know, faking it until we making it, throwing up smoke and mirrors when necessary, keeping each other on track. And at the end of the day, after all of that, not only seeing the end result, but understanding sort of how the sausage was made yep. is so informative yep. and makes you realize that most of the like self-help business books are just a total crock. So you yeah. can get an MBA and kind of bypass the startup experience and just get an MBA? I mean, I don't know. I don't have an MBA. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that this experience is, it's, it would be hard to get elsewhere and just yeah. like the rate at which you learn just because the function is forced. You yeah. don't get to just sit there and tread water otherwise. What are some uh, things about like, so Checker is obviously like a high growth successful startup. So kind of what were some of the signs or indicators that you saw early on that kind of reaffirmed that you guys are on the right trajectory? Because I can imagine there's a lot of startups that are also like small teams working on difficult problems and ultimately they end up not working out. So I'm just curious, Given that you have that unique experience, was there anything in like during that journey that kind of reaffirmed that you guys were doing the right things? Mm, probably when I closed the first deal. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing or the fact that we were getting inbound interest and then that I was able to close deals after asking three questions like, <laughs> how many background checks do you need? What kind of background check? And when do you want to get started? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, I do. And like, I could have been like, wow, Evan, you're a badass salesman. And I was like, then you no. became the lawyer. Yeah. You, you wrote the contract? Did you write the contract? Uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, no, I did not write any contracts. Yeah. I think really it, some of it came in the form of just like the relief that our customers expressed. 
I mean, background checking is funny. The way that I view it in a lot of ways is that it's a pure pain point. Nobody wakes up excited in the morning about the background checks they get to run that day or about the background checks they get to review that day. So our role as a company in a big way and on the customer success team more specifically is mitigating as much of that pain as possible, whether it's by reducing cost or reducing the time it takes to process the check or just making the review process simpler so that you can focus time on the more intricate parts of background checking or just other facets of your business. Just seeing that genuine sort of relief in the customer was huge. And also just really like the numbers don't lie. Yeah. Our growth was healthy from the start. I actually, I mean, I remember when I was first thinking, when I first joined, you know, I was dreaming of the day when we would run a thousand background checks a day. Uh-huh. And that came a lot faster than I could have <laughs> ever imagined. That's awesome. And then I guess the last point I'll bring up is when we closed Uber, we had four employees. Interesting. So you guys were very lean, scrappy, growing a lot, and you were actually able to still work in what you were originally focused on, the idea that you were assessed about around the last mile through this kind of like meta background check process, which is pretty dope. And I think a lot of another advantage that smaller startups have is that they're more willing to take risks hiring people. It's easier to get a job at those types of organizations that have less structure. And for the people that come from, well, the other question I want to ask you is like, for the people that come from a structured environment, like an investment bank or a corporation that's going into a startup, I know I felt it. I know other people have felt it. They're not, it's very hard for them to get used to lack of structure. What advice do you have for those people? And, you know, what have you seen that, you know, doesn't work for someone that's kind of like demanding structure? That's when the company's not ready for structure all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first part really is people that come into this type of environment thinking that all they need to do is execute their responsibilities because at a structured company, you literally have a job description and you have a performance review every quarter or whatever. You know exactly whether or not you're doing your job, no more, no less. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That I think is a very healthy way of working and it works for a lot of folks. But sort of going back to what I was saying before, number one, there may not even be that list. And number two, that's sort of the stuff that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to not only are you going to have to do those things, you're going to have to figure out how to do those things. There isn't just some, you know, we don't just give you an employee handbook at the first day and be like, okay, if A, then B, it's like, We didn't even know A existed yet. So please help us navigate to B. If you're not interested in that, then that's fine. But, you know, figure out a different option. Yeah. The second one is, and I've seen this a couple of times, is just sometimes people just get like perfectionism. Perfectionism will be the death of you in this type of environment. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're spending all this time analyzing before you make decisions or revisiting a product or a project or trying to get feedback from a million people, really, you need to have the bias towards action. That sounds like something you read in a business um, book, but it's true. I think there's a (laughs) saying that if you're not embarrassed of the MVP, then you waited too long. And also, like, don't don't ask, like, ask for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. Just just do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most problems have a relatively... (laughs) simple solution that will get you 80% of the way there. And 80% is a long, it's a big sort of gain. And closing that last 20% gap, generally speaking, that can wait until tomorrow or next year or, you know, even five years from now. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're the franchise player, put numbers up. That's like what matters. <laughs> like just go in, close deals, get things done. The other thing too, I would say is like, well, what you said before, what you touched on is like, there is no onboarding. Sometimes not only do you have to do your role that nobody told you that existed, but you also might have to even create the onboarding as you're doing the role for the next person that's coming on board, et cetera. So I think that's awesome. And so, you know, Checker's on this amazing trajectory now. How do you feel your role is going to evolve over time here? Do you feel that you're always going to kind of like play this 
step in into these different roles and continue to grow out the team and do what you've always done? Or, you know, what do you want to do in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of, that's one of the more interesting parts for me is how do I chart my course, both being selfish? What am I interested in? What types of skills do I want to develop, et cetera? Also, and I'm, I genuinely want this, but how can I best leverage my skills and my strengths to advance checker mm-hmm. and sort of finding that intersection is the ideal. And that's not easy. I mean, that, that's not easy for me today, or I don't anticipate that getting any easier. I love sort of these new sort of frontier type problems, whether it's about internal efficiencies or a new line of product. I really enjoy, you know, being sort of that intermediary between our customers and the business and sort of being their voice. I mean, I guess that that's kind of my problem at this point is I am interested in so many different things. And like as the business evolves and as responsibilities inevitably become more well-defined, sort of navigating that labyrinth and finding the place or creating the space where you belong and doing that on an individual level, but also the company having those structures in place where that's possible. And I think that that's something that Checker is really striving for in general. And I'm a beneficiary of that. What have you noticed as the company was scaling? What would you say was the biggest difference in terms of how you performed the same task as a two-person startup to a task like running a screening report as a 50-person startup? Because I'm sure you had to hire more people. You had to add more, um, like you had to delegate more. So like, what did you notice and how did that change from being a two-person to a 50-person to 100-person startup? Yeah. I mean, I think along with that growth, we also just became a lot more sophisticated. So all of a sudden, there were all these considerations that needed to be accounted for that we never even knew or considered at all. So that added an additional layer of complexity on top of just an organization growing. I would say the biggest thing, just purely from a number standpoint, was communication. I mean, where before you could literally just be like, all right, I'm going to do this and be like, great. Or you just don't even say anything. You just do it. And the net gain was you advanced checker forward. But when you start hitting 30, 40, 50 people, when you make a decision or you are going to change something... You also have to account, okay, how is that going to affect other people on the team? How is it going to affect their processes? So sort of something that you're going to always fight, but you do build in sort of those layers of process and procedure and while trying to avoid the sort of bureaucracy that can, you know, really hold progress back. So trying to kind of find that balance where before at a two or 10 or 12 or 20 person company, it's just like, there is so much work that we need to do. Let's just do work. Let's just do as much work as we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And so my last question before going into the lightning round is your story reminds me a lot of me as before, like I like came in and I was trying to figure out my different role within these different startups. And something that I got told a lot is like, Ruben, you really don't want to become a jack of all trades and a master of none, which is why I started like focusing on like sales and then how to scale teams and things like that. So when you're a franchise player, you know, are you going to start, you know, do, if I'm someone that's coming in, do I start thinking about, all right, I'm doing all these jobs, but I also want to focus on being the best person at this skill. And then once I'm done with that skill, do I move to the next skill? You know, and then as I rotate these different positions, is, is that how you think about things or, you know, how would you think about it? Yeah, I don't think I really agree with that for me myself. Number one, like I certainly am not a jack of any trade in and of itself. Like if you look at my resume or like my transferable skills, it's yeah. it's hard to sort of, you know, translate. Yeah. So there definitely is the value in like building your professional capital in a specific marketable vertical or whatever. Yeah. But for me personally, I really like the multifaceted nature of dealing with people. Yeah. And there isn't one specific skill that makes you good at that. Yeah. In lots of different capacities. 
And then on top of that, I think sort of my end game is probably running a business myself. Yep. And that is kind of the epitome of being a jack of all trades. Yeah. And that is something that is attractive to me. Yep. Being able to dabble in this or that. I mean, even in college, I got a degree in philosophy and I got a degree in business information systems. Yeah. So even then I wasn't willing to be like, all right, this is my path. It's a... I mean, I think some of the coolest people in history are like, yeah, and there's no think. way I'm even near this level by any stretch or like the polymaths who yeah. were applied themselves to so many different areas. That's fair. So it's like being a cellist and investment banker that with an education and healthcare and all this. Yeah, it's like I the, didn't plan this stuff, which just kind of like pulls us together. And so yeah, I hear you. It's like the but, build an interesting story is yeah. kind of like a guiding principle in my life. I think that came from. Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps a bit of a megalomaniac. The everything, the everything story. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> build an interesting books. story. It doesn't need to be happy. It doesn't need to be funny. It doesn't need to be sad. Just make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. So at this point in the podcast, we'll do the lightning round. And this is where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you some questions. So these questions are focused more on the tactics and strategies and resources that you've used to get to where you are today. So with that said, guys, take it away. Yeah. So we're going to switch it up this time. So imagine if you could send out a tweet to the entire world. So everyone in the world will see it. And obviously 140 characters. So what would you want to include in that tweet? Oh, man. I've never even sent a tweet. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> so uh, what about like a phrase or a lesson or that the entire world will see? I'm just gonna steal Ian's. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> or what advice would you give to your family that's trying to follow your same trajectory? Say in a tweet form. That's 140 characters. Yeah. <laughs> give me a minute. Man, I would just say get off Twitter. Twitter, get to work, something yeah. like that. Yeah. No, that's it. That's great advice. Great advice. <laughs> so you're the second interview that we've done for someone from Alaska. What are some qualities that you feel that were unique to Alaska that turned you into who you are and, and why should more people visit that location? I think really it uh it did two things for me. Number one, it inspires just sort of this awe of like, there are things going on, whether you're whatever those things may be that are like unexplainable and bigger than you and are worth just kind of like taking a step back and appreciating for like what the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That kind of stuff, you know, just growing up in the foothills of mountains and I mean, literally like things bigger than you. Like um, grizzly bears fishing for salmon. Oh yeah, like yeah. That. I was I was hanging out with the grizzlies just a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Um, and then I think the second piece is, and this isn't necessarily for Alaska, but that certainly helped. Is like being familiar with being uncomfortable, and how like that is the antithesis of what like marketing and consumer society tells you. But it's not just that, not just like creature comforts, but like, okay, you've been at a job for three years now. You love your coworkers. You're having a great time. Are you too comfortable? Should you be pushing yourself? Yeah. Like, or you, you get to the point where you're so familiar with being uncomfortable that when you are comfortable, you're kind of not at ease anymore. You're like, something ain't right I here. like that. Yeah. And so my follow-up question, it's going to build a little bit on what you just said, but imagine that you didn't quit the live and you didn't join Checker. Let's use a hypothetical and say three years from that point, where do you think you would have been now if you didn't join Checker? I would have worked at the live for at least a while longer. I think from there, it's really hard to say. I mean, my, I'm, maybe I would have started like a t-shirt business or something weird like that or yeah. <laughs> uh just sat in a satin red fly i don't know i don't yeah. know i'm not that's hard to even that's the unknown think about i'm just yeah. glad that it's that isn't what happened we always say that people tend to over exaggerate the risk of quitting your job and going down the hill so you can find that path 
Because at the end of the day, like if that two-person startup did not work out for you, you probably could have gone back to the job at Deliv and said, hey, guys, like, can I have that job back or found another job similar to what you were doing? But you didn't do that. You decided to take a chance. You decided to give it a shot. And like, here you are now. And trust your instincts. Um, I like that you, you, know, you trust yeah. your instincts. You had a maniacal drive. You're obsessed with the idea. You were dreaming about those thousand applications every day. It came way faster than you thought. And then you touched on things around philosophy. Um, I think it's very aligned with the unknown. Can you drop some gems that you learn through your philosophical studies for the people about life that they could take away as we close out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most important thing and like the most confusing thing and the thing that you're never going to get 100% of answers on is you yourself, how you operate. Like, don't kid yourself. You don't even understand how you yourself operate. Yeah. So approach things with humility and understand that about yourself and project that onto the people who you're sitting across from. Like, I don't know how I operate. So I certainly don't know how you do. Mm-hmm. Or so, and then like kind of, that's the nucleus of it, but yeah. it expands all the way through that. I mean... Be excited about the questions more than the answers, Ooh. basically. Ooh, I, mean, I like that. Snap, snap. So, yeah, no, thanks for dropping the poetry. What's the best way to stay in touch with you for more gems? I know you don't even uh, have Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> 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 Love it. Uh, no, I am on LinkedIn. I think it's Evan Freed. Or maybe Evan Maurice Freed. Or Evan Fried. Evan Fried. Well, yeah, look, Freed, so like Fried, F-R-I-E-D. <laughs> or you can email me at Checker, just Evan at Checker.com, E-V-A-N mm-hmm. at C-H-E-C-K-R.com. Yeah, so I, again, Evan is the OG Checker employee number one. Yeah, take Make him sure up on it. If you're interested in Checker, then... Uh, is there any challenge that you're facing with now that you would want someone to help you un- like get unstuck? Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I mean, send me that unsolicited advice. I'm sure it could be helpful in lots of ways. Send me the questions that you've been thinking about, whatever. Let's think about them together. Beautiful. Awesome. All right, man. Awesome. Peace. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.